In God We Trust, from Psalm 25. Now, In God We Trust was adopted as the official motto of the United States in 1956. It is sad, but today many want to erase that wonderful motto as they see it as an irrelevant and outdated motto. How do we come to trust and love a God we cannot see? Scientists keep telling us that trust to, to trust them, they say, to trust us, they say, because we will, we will not give you the facts unless we see it, unless we, we taste it, we touch it, we hear it, we smell it, we, we experiment with it, they say. Which is very interesting because during this pandemic, the expert scientists have been at loggerheads with each other uh, with regards to the most appropriate treatment. It's not, if it's not this, it's that. And, and uh, they are increasingly confused also because, you know, they can't even define what is a male and a female. And these are the scientists, these are the experts. So how can we trust them? Come election time, the politicians are out, there, are out in the hustings uh, telling us, you can trust us. And all too often we know where that leads. This is why the Lord warned us, cursed is the man who trusts in man. Those are the words from Jeremiah. Yet, in the news this week, it's a sad story of John Steingard. He, was, he is a lead singer of a Christian rock band and the son of a pastor. And he announced on Instagram that he no longer believes in God. And this is what he said. He says, I've been terrified to post this for a while. But it feels like it's time for me to be honest. He wrote in, in a caption with a lengthy note. And he said this, he says, After growing up in a Christian home, being a, a PK or a pastor's kid, playing and singing in a Christian band and having the word Christian in front of most of the things in my life, I am now finding that I no longer believe in God. End of quote. Now, it has to be obvious that he didn't just stop believing in God overnight. He woke up one morning and says, oh, I don't believe in God anymore. But this is the, the result. This is a downward spiral over time. And it usually starts when you start losing your trust in God. You lose trust in Him and His ways, and then belief in God shortly follows. This is why it's important, it's an important fact to remember that our Christian faith is, is not simply thought in the halls of academia or being thought out by some monk locked up in a, in a monastery somewhere and this is how we, we deal with the battles of life. No, the, the, the Bible is actually very real. It is about life it, because it highlights the character of God live in and through his people. And this is something that we need to understand and we'll be unpacking this morning. So if ever you find yourself in a dark place, I always uh, tell people to go and read the Psalms because the Psalms are very honest. And uh, this morning we'll be looking at Psalm 25. And at first this psalm might appear a little difficult to understand. 
Uh, for starters, um, just to let you know, in the original Hebrew, uh, each verse starts with the succeeding letters of the alphabet. And also, this psalm is an honest prayer. It is a cry for help that, to God, a cry that comes from the heart. But it is not just a cry. It is also immersed with praise for who God is. This is why um, J.I. Packer says that this psalm has five layers. He says the first layer is prayer, verses 1 to 7. Then there's meditation, verses 8 to 10. Then there is prayer, verse 11. Then meditation, verses 12 to 15. And then it finishes with prayer in verses 16 to 22. So, if you want to see improvement in your prayer life, then it should be a balance between prayer, which is basically talking to God, and meditation, which means thinking about God. And this psalm is certainly a good starting place for that. Now last Sunday, Ted spoke about the topic of repentance. In our day and age, it's certainly a controversial topic. But it's all the Bible talks about repentance all the time, and it's a wonderful reminder. Now our psalm... This morning is a prayer of trust in God and it looks to God for guidance in verses 1 to 7. It praises him for his goodness in verses 8 to 15 and then pleads to him for mercy in verses 16 to 22. So let's start with praying for guidance in verses 1 to 7. He says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In you I trust, O my God, Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. Because no one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to to shame who are treacherous without excuse. And in verse 4, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God, my Saviour, and my hope is in you all day long. Now David opened his prayer with a a simple but a profound statement about his relationship with God. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. Because God is the righteous protector of his people. He would bring their enemies to shame. We don't have to do it. He will do it. And this is why David wholeheartedly placed his trust in him. And David had the confidence to personally take his troubles to the Lord. And this is what we should do in every every circumstance. Now I am a I'm quite privileged to be a pastor and part of that privilege is that I have a lot of people praying for me. And I ask people to pray for me. And they do it for free. I don't have to pay them to do that. But I read somewhere that prayers for hire is a growing business in the Philippines. If people want something special, for example, to pass an exam, they pay for a pray lady to ask God for it while they continue working and or, or studying or playing rather than studying. So, well, I've just prayed, I just paid money to my prayer lady and I'll be okay. That's the idea. Now, no doubt God will be appalled when he hears these prayers prayers for pay. One reason is because at the heart 
of true prayer is a personal relationship between God and his people. You can't pay someone to have that relationship for you. Notice how it says in verse 4, it says, Show me your ways and teach me your paths. It doesn't say, Help me in my ways and strengthen me in my decisions, in my paths. We desperately need to follow the Lord's path. Now, we may have the the greatest intentions as to the path we want to take, but as Proverbs 14.12 warns us, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Now, let's make sure that we are on the Lord's narrow path that leads to the narrow door, and that's the door that leads to eternal life. Now, today there are a lot of People who are making a lot of money by forecasting anything from the weather to politics to economics. There is a market out there for this because people want to know where to put their money. They want to make the right decisions based on somebody's forecast about the future. So what do Christians do? And we know, of course, that discerning God's will is not easy. Should you wait for a dream or a vision or an angel or a voice in your head? God can use, obviously God is sovereign, he can use any of of these means, but these are not his normal means of guidance. The starting point, however, is to come to the Lord in prayer. And, And prayers for guidance often concern specific decisions. God's word must be at the core of such decisions. For we know that God will not lead us contrary to his own word. The counsel and prayers, this is also very important, the counsel and prayers of more mature Christians who know us well can also be helpful. And because the Lord often reveals his will through circumstances, we should pray for increased awareness of the Holy Spirit's leading in and through the circumstances that we face. Now there's a, there's a book on prayer, The God Who, Who Hears by Bingham Hunter. And he comes up with six helpful steps that can lead us to pray for God's guidance. And I'm going to leave it with you and maybe you want to jot these down. First of all, be aware of the media's role, he says, the media's role in clouding our needs and wants with understanding of God's will. Be aware of that. Secondly, he says, make Bible reading and study a priority. Do not get lazy on this, but continue to read God's word. Thirdly, take seriously the need for obedience. Because basic Christian obedience is essential to praying according to God's will. Fourth, keep in mind that God's will for your life is not the same as his will for other people's lives. Remember the episode in in John 21 where Peter asked Jesus, what about him? What about him? You know, the one who's following behind me. And Jesus said to him, it's none of your business. You follow me. Fifth, learn from others, especially more mature Christians. And finally, pray for others and ask them to pray for you. Don't give them money, 
just ask them to pray for you. It is a wonderful privilege to be able to intercede for one another in this matter of prayer. So you work through these six steps and God's promise in James 1.5 is to provide wisdom to, to those who ask. Now, we move to praising God for his goodness in verses 8 to 15. Praising God for his goodness. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Now this psalm contrasts those, the whole psalm contrasts those who are wicked with those who are are righteous. Now this contrast has little to do with the individual's character, or they're a bad person, or evil, or otherwise. But it has much to do when the individual in whom the individual puts his or her trust. This is why even though we are sinners, this is what it says here, even though we are sinners, we can be instructed by him because of who he is, not because of who we are or what we have done. And this is a reason for praise. If we truly understand who God is, how could we be anything but humble before him. For those who seek his way, he returns loving kindness and truth. And this is why David asked God to remember him, not according to his own sins, but according to God's goodness and love. That's very, very important in verse 7. Now, the word for love here is that wonderful Hebrew word describing God's covenantal, unfailing, loyal love, hesed. And that's in verses 6 and in verse 10. And all of this is because of his name, his reputation, the name that is above all names. This is why in verse 11 is central to the psalm where he says, For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. He invokes God's nature. For that is the reality to which God's name is pointing and ask that God will be merciful despite all of our sins. Now the Hebrew word here, I know that you see the word prosperity and everybody just gets excited about it, but the Hebrew word translated prosperity in verse 11 is a word that means good. God will give his children good things. In the words of the 23rd Psalm, Remember that phrase, surely goodness and mercy. No matter what trials we may face, the Holy Spirit comforts us with the goodness of God. When Jesus was teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 7, he told the people the parable of the good father. And in verse 11, 
He said this, and Jesus was being very honest with us, wasn't he? Look, listen to these words. He says, if you then, being evil, well that's not very nice, Jesus. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus was very honest with us, wasn't he? If we can be good, how much more? How much more will our Heavenly Father be toward us? Whether it's healing for our sickness, peace in our times, in our uncertain times in which we are living, joy for our sorrow, encouragement for our despair, strength in our weakness, comfort in our hopelessness. God wants to give us Good things. But remember there is no formula for prosperity like a a recipe baking a cake and just put it in the oven and voila, it's there. In all these things we surrender all to his character, to his grace, to his sovereignty. In verses 16 to 22 there's the pleading for mercy. The pleading for mercy. Turn to me And be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. There's that word again. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life. Rescue me. And again, let me be not put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May Integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. Redeem Israel, O God, from all the troubles. There's a lot of in this psalm about confession of sin, isn't there? And some might dare to say, well, what does sin have to do with my troubles? I've been good, you know, compared to everybody else. I've been good. It's only better than a lot of people I know. Yet, ultimately, all of our sorrows and the world's sorrows, in one way or another, can be traced back to sin. And many times the problem is we are blind to our own sin, that we go on tolerating and thinking, well, that's not much, it's nothing much. Someone put it this way, they said, if you tolerate sin in your own life, That sin will not only take you farther than you wanted to go, it will take you longer than you wanted to stay, and it will cost you more than you thought you'd pay. That's pretty accurate. Now David recognised the part of, you know, that, that, that part of his trouble was in his own sin, in his own fault. So he confessed his sin to the Lord. And three times he mentions his sins and, you know, even way back, even way back when he was a young person. And Spurgeon, the great Spurgeon, makes a brilliant point here. He says, and I quote, he says, The world winks at the sins of young men, and yet they are not so literal after all. The bones of our youthful feastings at Satan's table will stick painfully in our throats when we are old men. He who presumes upon his youth 
is poisoning his old age. How large a tear may wet this page as some of us reflect upon the past. See, wow. Isn't that true? Quite often we are haunted not only by current sins, but also the sins of our youth. Areas that we thought are gone from us suddenly sneak back into our lives and bring more pain. And sometimes, long after we have been forgiven, others might come around and remind us of those sins and sort of digging the knife and twisting it. And this is Satan's specialty. But the Lord, the Lord is full of mercy and helps us even when we fail him. As we learn to trust him more, we also learn how to overcome those sins that have often tripped us. The words of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Yes, David went through deep guilt for his many sins. And yes, he also went through a terrible time because of his enemies. But he never gave up his faith. That line of communication between him and God was always open. He continued to trust in the Lord for salvation. And Christians... We know that the Lord will forgive all our sins because of the cross of Jesus Christ. But if we trust and love God, we will not live and and revel in sin because we know that we have been bought at a very high price. The Holy Spirit will show us how to overcome sin. He will be constantly pointing us to the Lord and His Word for strength. He will help us to become spiritually stronger so that we can overcome the temptation of sin and the daily challenges in the Christian life. For this, we need to continue to trust God more and more each day and not less. Our belief in God continues to grow. Our faith continues to mature and praise God because he enables us through his Holy Spirit to overcome. My brothers and sisters, may God bless us in his word. Amen.